Hello. Discover the answer to life's most perplexing questions. Gain insight for your journey and discover how to use your pain to launch your purpose as you listen to Beauty for Ashes, a podcast with Adrian Mayfield. Hello, guys. So we are here for part two of our interview with Mrs. Pat. And our first segment, we talked about the early days of her marriage. And we also shared um, her very um, traumatic loss of a child and how that impacted. We were beginning to talk about and unpack how that was impacting her marriage and the relationship that she had with her husband. And so I'm super excited to have the opportunity to just kind of finish to share her testimony in life. And so we'll pick up with her there. She was sharing, I believe, um, when we ended, she was sharing that the lot, how the loss of the of their child was further, I guess, heightened by the fact that she was at home sick. Her husband, Paul, was going to stay with the child and it was on a trip or visit back home to sit with her when they actually lost their child. So we'll pick up there. Thanks so much, Adrian. First of all, I just want to say real quickly um, what a joy it is to um, to do this podcast. I was a little hesitant. I do tend to be a little long-winded now and then. But for, for this part of the podcast, I, I hope that everyone will stay tuned and, and listen because for my journey, this is... Um, maybe one of the most impactful things that I can say. Uh, After Lori passed away, uh, we were living in Kalamazoo when we lost her. And after um, Kalamazoo, uh, we moved to Finley, Ohio, little tiny place. Uh, And uh, Doug, our son, uh, was about four years old when we moved there. And it was there that I noticed that Paul's occasional beer now and then started increasing. Mm. He was manager of the office that he worked for and had a huge amount of responsibility, but we were still in the newness of losing a child. And so um, very rapidly, a six-pack of beer every night went to eight beers every night. And when I brought up the fact that his father was an alcoholic, as was his grandfather, uh, it was something that he answered by telling me that, as most alcoholics do, that he was absolutely in complete control and could stop any time he wanted to, but it just helped him relax. I will tell you that Paul was never a sloppy drinker. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would make him sleepy. And at that time, he'd just get in the recliner and fall asleep. So I tried to push it aside, trying to be a better wife, trying to look a little better, trying to cook a better meal, Um, Doug and Paul were still just inseparable at every level. They did everything together. And who was Doug? Doug is my son. Right. Yes. Douglas Joseph Welch, my 45-year-old son. And um, 
So by the time we left Finley, Ohio to move to South Bend, Indiana, Paul was drinking probably 10 beers every night and at least 12 on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday. So that would be a full case on the weekends. So it's gone from three, from every night having two or three to now having 10. To now having 10 in a a relatively short period of time. Um, So we, we, we moved um, to South Bend. Paul was manager of the office there, but he started having problems. Um, We uh, were not financially as stable as we needed to be, especially after the loss of Lori and the expenses that were incurred there. And so um, at that time, I was still staying home with Doug. And when he went into kindergarten, uh, Paul said, I think you're going to have to go back to work. So... I interviewed at Notre Dame Mm -hmm. and was fortunate enough to get a lovely job in the placement office, uh, which was a wonderful place, lovely campus uh, to work. And um, my hours were such that I got off at three o'clock so I could get to school and pick up Doug. And as far as Doug knew, I was home all day. So that worked (laughs) wonderfully well. And Doug... uh, Uh, never knew the difference. Mm -hmm. So Paul started um, making more errors at work. Mm -hmm. Uh, He started staying up later at night. Um, His uh, exemplary years of service at the company that he worked for, and by this time it was almost 13 years, was slowly being taken away by the fact that he was not as sharp as he was originally, and it was primarily due to the alcohol. Mm -hmm. Um, I I noticed at that time that responsibility started becoming a little less. Things that needed to be handled around the house weren't as important as they once were. uh, we, you know, uh, things that needed to be repaired, he didn't worry about. And at one time he would have. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, uh, due to his bad choices, he lost his job mm-hmm. with the company that he had been with for so long in Kalamazoo, I mean, in South Bend. Mm-hmm. And we were in a house we couldn't afford. Uh, and I was the only income coming in. Wow. And my mother, who it was a wonderful lady, had just retired from Goodyear Tire mm-hmm. in Akron. And she asked us if it would be okay if she moved to South Bend too, <laughs> because she wanted to be with her grandson. And right. she was all by herself. Right. Paul and I discussed it and we said, sure, mm-hmm. why not? Mm-hmm. So she got her little apartment and so she was there with the journey. But Paul never drank very much around her because he knew how she felt about it. And Paul was not someone who sipped a beer. When he drank a beer, he drank it. It was gone. Right. And so when we got the word that Paul 
had lost his job. I can't remember exactly what story we gave to mom, Mm -hmm. Ben Coe, but it wasn't the truth why he lost the job because both of us were embarrassed and we knew that we were going to have to find work somewhere else. So Paul interviewed for a position where he would work out of the house, but would take us to a little town in Ohio called Bryan, Ohio. Okay. Can I ask a question? Sure. So you, so he has this drinking problem, but no one's really aware of the drinking problem except the two of you. Except me. Okay. Except me. And so let's talk a little bit about shame, the role of shame here. What role do you think that it played in your ability to even get help for him or for him to realize that he needed help? Because I noticed that you said your mom, you didn't share with your mom. You didn't want your mom to know. And he didn't want his mom to know. that. He, Let me tell you, I thought I could fix it. Mm-hmm. I thought I was this super wife. Right. I mean, I was very, uh, be very honest. I was very average looking. Mm-hmm. I had gained a lot of weight through the years, through two pregnancies, Um, I had, uh, not taken care of myself health wise, like I should, but I was a good wife and I was understanding and I loved him at a place that was just, uh, not natural. I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I just loved him more than I could ever say. And we were members of a church in South Bend. He was president of the Sunday school class. Mm -hmm. We had the class over to our house. We would hide uh, all of the remnants of any beer. Mm -hmm. Plus, Paul smoked, and he smoked four packs of cigarettes every day. Wow. Every day. Four packs. Four packs of cigarettes. I don't even know, 20, 40, 60, 80 cigarettes a day. So I'd say he was a chain smoker. We never thought that you could smell smoke until... (laughs) um, I went into uh, our house. The smoke was gone from our house, and I went into someone's house that smoked. Mm-hmm. And and anybody that entered our house had to know there was a smoker in that house. Right. Mm-hmm. Grandma Benko, she smoked too, so she didn't think anything about four packs of cigarettes a day, and she didn't know anything about the beer. So you know, we were covered, and. I didn't want anyone to think that I didn't have that wonderful marriage that everyone thought we had or that I wasn't the perfect wife. And I never wanted to rock Paul's boat because I never wanted him to leave. Mm. And so off we go to Bryan, Ohio for a job that he took so that, um, we would work out of the house and not go to an office. It's only 3,000 people in Bryan. And so uh, the company, again, is a claims adjuster. It was Ohio Casualty. And they hired him and had called his previous boss where he lost his job, Mm -hmm. but they had given him a grand recommendation. And I had met Paul's, I went to dinner with the person that was going to be Paul's boss. And he said, we are just so thrilled Mm -hmm. that you are joining the company. And we had a four bedroom house. Paul turned one of the bedrooms into an office and grandma was there to take Douglas back and forth to school. 
And I got a job just south of town in a little town called Defiance at um, Defiance College. Defiance, okay. And so uh, uh, I thought, well, we're on our way. And, and this little setback of Paul losing his job because he drank too much was going to be his wake-up call. Mm-hmm. And so we moved to Bryan and we were there for a number of months. And my mom and I were out having lunch or something like that. And she told me she was worried about Paul because he was um, not spending uh, as much time in his office as she thought was normal. She would come over every day and fix our dinner. So because I was working right. and we both, she was a lovely lady. She loved us both. She never interfered. And so it all seemed very natural, but she said, and she said when Paul took his breaks, which would, were becoming more frequent, mm-hmm. uh, he was having a beer with every break. Mm-hmm. And by uh, about a year into living in Bryan, Paul was up to 12 beers every night. Hmm. So we had the talk again and again. And he said, you know, just under a lot of pressure, we had a lot of of family situations, terrible family situations happen with his dad and his mom. And so once again, I just kind of slipped it under the rug and prayed about it. Mm -hmm. And our sweet church that we went to, um, in Defiance, we actually drove to Defiance to church. Another Baptist church uh, was a lovely church. Paul, again, uh, involved in the Sunday school. But after about a year and after the talk with my mom, I all of a sudden became concerned. Mm-hmm. And I called my pastor and asked him if we could talk. And it was the first time that I had had anybody say to me, your husband has an alcohol problem. Right. And to this time, you just feel like your commitment and devotion to being a good wife and a good mom was just making you. I was justifying everything. Yeah. I justified it once again, because I, I felt I loved him so much and I didn't want him to leave. Right. Um, And so. And I think that's interesting because um, it's, We get into, as human beings, I think, we get into this thing where we don't want to offend people. We don't want to break their hearts. We don't want to make them mad. We don't want them to be angry with us. When in actuality, we we become participants in things that are Oh, I was a codependent person. Oh, my gosh. It was was terrible. And I would pray every day. I would just say, Lord, you know, you have the ability to take this desire away from him. And you know that I love you and you know that Paul loves you. And that, uh, you know, I don't know what, what has possessed him to want to do this so much, but you have the ability to take this away. And, and every time, you know, I, I believe looking back, the Holy Spirit said to me, Pat, you know, you need to let go. Mm-hmm. And I just kept thinking, but surely, Lord, you don't want me to let go of my husband and my family. And my, I mean, I was justifying everything I could to stay with this person 
I'm going to fast forward because I could tell you so many stories that people would think came out of a movie. Um, eventually, um, the beer didn't do it anymore mm -hmm. for whatever it is supposed to do. And Paul switched from beer to vodka. Mm. He, he switched to vodka because he felt you couldn't smell it. Hmm. And um, lost his job in Bryan. Mm -hmm. And I found a letter after he lost his job. We, he worked, we were there about two years that, uh, that he had hidden. And I was packing up his office because we were moving mm -hmm. uh, to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And um, the letters was from his boss that said how disappointed he was that they had such wonderful plans for him. And they did not know what happened. Paul never showed me the letter. and He, he never acknowledged it. Um, and we moved to Bryan, Ohio, and he started working for AIG companies as a claims adjuster. Okay. At that time, his alcoholic father, the alcoholism had gotten much worse. Mm -hmm. His mother was in the advanced stages of Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. And... My mom had traveled with us whenever we moved, she moved. And the day that we got ready to leave Brian and moved to Atlanta, my mother had a heart attack. Wow. Paul came on ahead and Douglas and I stayed in a house with one change of clothes, no furniture. And while she was in the hospital because everything had been already moved right. to Atlanta. We flew mom to Atlanta after she recovered. Uh, she had to have open heart surgery as soon as she got here. We told Paul's parents that they had to come and live in Atlanta because we could not care for them and they needed care every day. Right. So we all lived together for about six, eight months in a little apartment. Mm -hmm. Doug, Paul, Grandma Benko, Mom and Dad Welch, and me. Wow. <laughs> and uh, uh, anybody that knows about Parkinson's, that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. So we go through the, the, all of the parts of that journey because we, that was in uh, 1987 that we moved to Atlanta. So uh, I want to get to the important part of, of what this podcast is about. Paul's drinking increased. Uh, no amount of talking was going to make a difference. He started seeing another person that he worked with. Another woman. Another woman. Okay. And uh, she drank, uh, mm -hmm. matched him with every drink he had. Uh, and I was still trying to be the perfect wife, oh, you know, because yeah. I didn't want him to leave. Right. And so we had been married 25 years by mm -hmm. this time. Mm -hmm. And Paul's parents had both passed away after moving to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And my mother became gravely ill. And Paul and I both decided that she needed to move into our tiny little house so that we could keep an eye on her. And she did. Mm -hmm. It was shortly after that that I found uh, Paul with the person that he was seeing. And I said, finally, somebody has to love you enough to let you go. And that has to be me. And that was the last words I said to him before he left the house. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, he was drinking, for those of you that know alcoholic measurements, 
he was drinking a fifth of vodka hmm. every day and a gallon of vodka on the weekends. He had lost wow. just about every job he had mm-hmm. because he was drinking on the job. He was drinking in the car, all of those things. I think too here, it's important to insert that. I think I, I brought, I kind of touched on it earlier that what I hear and see even in Paul's life is this generational curse of bondage. So there was the alcoholism with the grandfather, there's the, the father. alcoholism with the father and he's seen this, and it's almost as if this is something that he can't outrun. Well, you know, he uh, there is uh, supposed to be some kind of uh, information that says that a um, uh, alcoholism is there is a propensity for it. If you have it in your family, it can be passed on to the next generation. Okay. But I think Paul's heart was so broken when Lori died. That's really when it started. Mm -hmm. I think that it was broken because he was with me and not with her, Mm -hmm. as I look back. But through it all, including the day he left, knowing that he had been with another woman, um, I loved him at the bottom of my heart. Mm-hmm. I loved him to the place that after he left, I thought, you know, I just don't need to be here anymore. This is this hurt and this heartache is just too hard. And I, I had the world praying for me. Mm-hmm. I had my church, my family, the people that I worked with, everybody I knew praying for me. And when he left, he left us penniless. We had nothing but thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of Mm. dollars worth of debt that will probably stay with me until I'm gone. Mm. That's how long it has taken to recuperate from it. I will tell you all this, the journey of the years after Paul left up until two or three years ago was more difficult than anyone should have to go through. And if it wasn't for my faith in my Lord, I would have never made it. Uh, When I thought that there was no point in going on, Mm -hmm. it was a dark day, raining outside very late at night, and I was hovered in the corner of my bedroom. And I said, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And I have a mom now that's ill, and I have a son. Mm. And I said, if you will carry me through this, I will promise you two things. I will put you first. Even though I was a Christian, Mm -hmm. Paul was always first. And the Lord kept telling me through his spirit, I need to be first. You need to keep me first. You need to look at me first. And, and, and I heard it, mm-hmm. but I thought, but he'll leave. And you see, he left anyway. Mm-hmm. And I said, I will keep you first, and I will give you a tenth of everything I have. If I have 50 cents, you'll get a tenth of it. Mm-hmm. And that's about all I had. Um, and and so um, Paul and I stayed married for a very long time, mostly due to me because of the divorce The word divorce just broke my heart. The day that we were divorced and I stood up in front of a judge and he slammed that gavel down, it was like all of those years never happened. It, 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 uh, you know, broke my heart again. Right. 
I often say that divorce is like having been divorced myself. Divorce is like a death. It is. It's a death. It is. Everything. It is. It's it's grieving. It's everything. And but but I will tell you that Adrian, my faith got so strong. Mm And my trust in the Lord got so strong. And I prayed over Paul every day. And it was difficult for him to talk to me on the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I would write to him once or twice a month. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, the things that I should have told you when you were here, I didn't tell you. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you now because one of these days, your days are going to be gone. Mm-hmm. The lady he was living with, Stop drinking. Hmm. Paul didn't. Oh, wow. I got a call one day at work about five years ago that said, uh, she said, gave me her name, and she said, I want you to know that Paul is in alcohol poisoning hmm. in uh, Northside Hospital, and uh, I don't drink anymore, and he's a problem, and he's your problem now. And we were divorced. He's your problem now. Yeah. Wow. Now, Douglas and Paul had um, not seen each other in a long time. Douglas's heart, to this day, I don't know that it'll ever be mended Mm. over what happened. Right. But Douglas now, because we're divorced, is the legal responsibility for Paul. Mm -hmm. And so... This lady nicely gave all of his contact information to the hospital, and the hospital calls and says, Mr. Welch is ready to be released. Come get him. To you and Doug. And to me and Doug. And there was no way he was coming home. So what we did was uh, I talked to Doug. Um, I got a call from Paul. Okay. Before you go into this part, let's – Let's speak to or pray for women who are facing what you face. They are trying to be the perfect mom, trying to be the perfect wife, but the perfection that they're trying, this mask and this thing that they're presenting is not their real world. And so let's pray for them now, if you would, for for women who are facing either divorce or who've been divorced or who are in... um, any type of abusive relationship or watching people or watching their husband destroy himself and what that might mean. Can you just pray for that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Father, again, we come before you tonight, just thanking you for the opportunity to share um, what for me is a very, very difficult 30 years of my life. I tried to be that perfect person. And one of the reasons that I tried so hard is that I didn't understand how much you loved me Mm. as my father. Mm. I thought that I had to get that love from Paul or my mom or my son or someone, and I was craving it so much. But I didn't understand what you were telling me the entire time that you were there. And that nobody loved me more than you. And that you were walking this journey with me every step. And you saw the end of the parade long before I did. And there are so many women today, Father, that are facing a spouse leaving them and leaving children. 
a spouse who has walked away and divorced, a, a, a spouse who has been abusive, a spouse who has put them in positions financially that they will never be able to recover from. And you know, um, your word says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, but it's real hard as human beings not to say, you know, I hope this person gets run over by a truck because that's what they deserve. Mm. But that's not what you tell us as we grow in you. And as I journaled every day, and I read back on those journals, I think, what in the world would I have done had that night I not said, Father, I will put you first. And I can sit here today at 72 years old and say that I put you first and still put you first every day. My regret for all of my life will be that I didn't understand how much you loved me when this journey started. So I'm praying that those that are listening today will just stop for a moment and ask that your angel wings just curl around them and that you comfort them in the midst of their hurt because this is not a miracle cure. The hurt is going to be there. This is a journey that can only be walked with you. So we're asking you to be with each one today and bless their sweethearts. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Beauty for Ashes podcast. Before you go, subscribe and leave a message with your pressing question or comment. Be sure to tell all your friends and tune in next week for another episode.